podcast series, Patrick Egan. It's where we discuss the issues and news that are relevant to the unmanned technologies community. SUAS News, as always, uh, interviews the newsmakers. If it's not just me and Gene carrying on, waxing nostalgically about the airspace integration uh, process, the global effort. Uh, looks like today, our consummate co-host, Gene Robinson, uh, is flying for NIST, and he may not be on. He's, he's probably flying as we speak. Uh, today's guest is Ted Wears-Banowski, who, among other things, is the chairman of the ASTM F-38 committee. And Ted just called me. He's driving around in Southern California, and there's traffic, and... Uh, Believe it or not, Ted's caught traffic, so we're waiting for him to call in. So we'll just uh, we'll have to hold on and, uh, and and wait for him to call in on that one. We have a, a full slate of questions for Ted about uh, F-38 and then some other stuff. I'm hoping he talks maybe a little bit about his time as a test pilot on the X-29 project, which was pretty interesting. Um, we got to hear about that and uh, when I was on the ARC with Ted, who was also the co-chair of uh, the SUAS ARC. Pretty interesting, talking about uh, the X-29 project. It's, uh, for people that aren't aware of that project, that was the jet with the forward-swept uh, wings. I mean, I guess they were kind of inverted or whatever. It's pretty interesting. And uh, the work they did with composites and whatnot, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, that was that was at Edwards. That was one of the fly-ins for the Ark. That was pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever been down to Edwards. They have a, a air show or an open house. Well worth um, the drive out there to see that. There's, I mean, they've they, they've got all the X planes there on pads. They have an SR-71. They have the uh, six million dollar man plane. I forget which one that is. It's where what the model was or project number that was, where it's unibody that's on a stick, which is pretty interesting. Uh, old hangars with aircraft pushed in there and they're tarped off, which is pretty, uh, you know, there's a little mystery there what's going on. Uh, they have another junkyard or boneyard of aircraft, and uh, you can you can tell by the parts and the pieces that uh, this stuff is, is one-off or uh, something a little bit different. Um, really interesting stuff if you're an aviation buff. I would definitely say you got to make it to that. Check that out. Um, also, I don't know if it's there anymore, but they had the uh, gantry system and the 747s that uh, would ferry the space shuttle to and fro. That was kind of interesting to see. Oh, and uh, while I was there, too, they had a, uh, the B-2 stealth bomber out on the lake bed park there. First time I've seen, you know, half a billion dollars on the hoof, as it were. Pretty interesting um, to see the different stuff. And then uh, when we did get to fly out, that was pretty, that was pretty cool, too. A uh, lot of stuff going on. Lots of aircraft lying around there. We actually, I think our our, um, our, our uh, air boss, our deconfliction guy was Mike Marston. So we were guests down there. That was pretty nice. And yeah. Gives the the VIP treatment. Deconflicted our airspace. Um, we got to fly mainly uh, as far as for the fly-in day that day. We flew. Uh, let's see who was there. Scan Eagle, 
So the Boeing Institute was there, Aerovironment was there, Alturas was there, MLB Company was there. I think we got uh, Ted on here. Let's see. I'm gone now with uh, after going through a six-car accident that I wasn't expecting to have to go through on the uh, freeway. So I'm on. All right. So that was that was good. You're here. You're safe. You're sound. Everything's good. Yep. Everything's cool. Okay. Well, I was just uh, I was going on and I was actually talking about. Um, well, let me introduce you first off. I, I did mention that we were going to have you on, um, you know, and our guest today was you. And I think I've known you so long, Ted, that I even had to spell your last name and pronounce it. <laughs> Where is Banowski? Yeah, it takes about at least a minimum of about five years to get that one locked down. But uh, You got it. I got that one going. Hey, I was talking about, and I mean, I do want to talk about ASTM F38, but uh, while I was waiting for you to come on, I was talking a little bit about the uh, the small UAS Arc flying at uh, at uh, Dryden down there, and I was telling people about uh, your experience with the X29 project, and uh, maybe uh, do you think you can hit some of the highlights about that project real quick? Oh yeah, sure. Wasn't expecting to do that, but uh, yeah, back in the early '80s, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was a, a test pilot in the, at Edwards Air Force Base in the early '80s. Uh, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency wanted to uh, explore a, 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 a lot of different technologies that were being considered for the next uh, generation fighter. And so they funded a program called uh, the X-29. It was a forward swept wing aircraft that also had uh, a, a very sophisticated digital flight control system. It had very huge canards. It had all kinds of crazy pitch control surfaces and a lot of other advanced technologies that various contractors were uh, looking at flying or putting on uh, some of the new fighters. Uh, it was a very unstable airplane. Uh, for those of you that know anything about aeronautics, it uh, it was had at certain points uh, 35% negative stability at certain Q levels, which means that it, uh, if the if the flight control system went, the airplane was basically gone. So, so I was the Air Force test pilot on that. There were two NASA test pilots and a Grumman test pilot, and uh, we took that airplane uh, uh, through the high-speed envelope expansion over a period of years, and then a second airplane was funded for a high angle of attack. Uh, uh, flight test, and then a lot of the technologies, not necessarily the forward swept wing, but a lot of the technologies we worked on and, and actually proved out in the airplane were, were incorporated into uh, F-22, F-35, some of the other aircraft around the world. That's a yeah. one. Yeah, no, it was, uh, and that's today, the picture for today's episode is actually uh, from the ARC when you were out there uh, and explaining that to people. And uh, I remember you were talking about the composites and, and all the rest of that. And one quick question. Um, so what's the deal with that when you, uh, you know, you're talking about that negative 35? <laughs> uh, is there a point where, like, as a test pilot, you're like, you know, you're effing crazy and I'm not getting in that thing? Or, or do they tell you it's safe and you go for it? How's that work? Well, we spent a lot of time... Uh, working hardware in the loop simulations, uh, probably had thousands of hours uh, working, making sure that we understood the airplane. We we used the simulator as a, as a help in flying the airplane. Uh, we would uh, go and practice all the missions early on, or you know, before we flew them. We would actually downlink the control inputs 
uh, to the ground, and the simulator on the ground would predict what the airplane would was supposed to do, and we would then also downlink what the airplane was doing, and, and the engineers in the in the control room uh, would compare the uh, actual response of the airplane to the uh, uh, predicted response. And if it started to get a little bit out of line, we would knock it off and come back and try to figure out what was uh, was going on. So it was a pretty controlled environment. Uh, but yeah, the, the, that very that negative stability. If we lost our engine where we were relying only on our backup power, our rule was to slow down to um, very low speed because if the airplane went uh, diverged uh, above about 250 knots, it could either go a plus two, three, a plus three, or a minus three G's, which minus three G is not very good for your body. So, but it was fun. You know, it was a, it was a uh, an interesting experience, to say the least. Well, and then since and then it's all the really interesting stuff. But since we're on that, maybe you could uh, also give give the listeners just a little bio. I mean, you've had a, you had a long career, um, you know. I know with the Air Force and and everything else, and then you who you you know kind of currently work for now, and and then you know where you're at now, if you could, real quick. Yeah, sure. Uh, real quick, I uh, went to the Air Force Academy, graduated from there in the late 60s, uh, got into flying early on, uh, flew lots of different airplanes, also did some civil engineering work on launch facilities, uh, actually worked with the FAA designing airspace down in southwest Texas, uh, eventually got into fighters, uh, flew F-4s at Iceland, went to Edwards Air Force Base, the test pilot school there, flew the X-29 like you talked about, and then worked on hypersonics for seven years in the X-30, or uh, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, National Aerospace Plane Program, and, and did a lot of different things with that particular program. Uh, it was canceled, although hypersonics seems to be coming back. Uh was canceled. I retired as a colonel from the Air Force uh, didn't want much to do with uh, government work after after doing all of that, so I went to work for uh, Aerovironment, primarily to work in an environmental uh, area, and I led or, or eventually ran our energy group that did uh, hybrid electric vehicles, hybrid electric vehicles. We did the EV1, uh, which was the, the first electric ve uh, car, modern electric car in the United States that was sold in uh, uh, Southern California. Uh, Continue to run that group until 9-11, and after 9-11, since I was one of the few guys in the company that had any military experience, uh, uh, moved over to the unmanned aircraft side of the house, uh, uh, worked on our high-altitude long-endurance aircraft, and also uh, because uh, pretty much had worked with the FAA, had worked in uh, the aerospace industry with airplanes for years, uh, got involved with uh, airspace. Uh, and UASs or unmanned aircraft, uh, integrating them into the national airspace system, as well as uh, a couple of the other issues, the spectrum issues. And I've been working on those issues now uh, at the national level, really, for the past 10 years. And uh, that's what I that's my primary full-time job right now. Is uh, even though I'm, I only work like part-time, four times, four days a week, uh, is working the. Uh, um, all the issues uh, involved with integrating UASs into the NAS, both large and small, here both in the U.S. and over in Europe. That's pretty impressive. I do tell people that. I say, well, you know, Ted, uh, you're probably one of the more involved people that I know. Um, I can't really go anywhere without seeing Ted. And it's good. We, we, we talk. You know, a lot of us have kind of become friends over the years. 
<laughs> through all this craziness. Uh, and then that's kind of where today's show kind of lined up, as I saw you at the uh, the AUBSI Unmanned Systems in uh, Las Vegas, and we've talked about uh, having you come on and and talk about what's going on with F thirty eight before. But, but before we don't dive into that, maybe uh, do you have any interpretations that you'd like to impart upon the audience about the uh, AUBSI show in Vegas? Yeah, well, I, I think the big thing is sort of like. All these uh, unmanned aircraft conferences, there's a lot of them around, right? They're everybody and their brother is uh, trying to make money off of unmanned aircraft conferences. But there, there's two that I go to. One is this one, uh, uh, the uh, AUVSI one, as well as the, the TAC one down in uh, New Mexico. Uh, and, and I think over the years what we've really seen is the significant growth in uh, in, in this particular industry, both uh, on the larger systems as well as the smaller systems, uh, the potential of these things being used for uh, lots of non-military applications uh, to, for public safety and, and, and you know commercial stuff, and, and, and I think the the thing you come away with is this is all real now and it's happening and it's happening faster I think than a lot of people thought it would. The, the technology is 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 there to do all, almost everything that people have thought about could be done with these things, and now what we have to do is uh, solve the regulatory issues and and you know the spectrum issues and some of the other enabling things that need to be put in place in order to really see this uh, this industry take off. Well, I would agree with uh, most of that. I, I definitely think you know we've the we've turned a corner. You know, remember uh, even a few years ago, people were like, "Oh, you know, this, this might just be a big fad," which I never agreed with. But I think people realize now uh, this technology is here to stay. People are out there doing stuff with it. It's it's useful. Um, I even I, I got to be honest. I think it's even. And we you touched on the green or alternative energy. I, I think it's more transformative than uh, even that. Uh, maybe not broadcast as wi a wide a group of people or whatever, but I, I definitely think the technology is there that this stuff could be put into uh, being applied uh, to help, or, you know, with it. I mean, I, I just all the different industries that it can it can do things with. It's just uh, it's mind boggling. And I say too, until we get that that regulation, we won't even know fully what all those applications are. But I agree. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so we wanted to talk about, uh, uh, you know, this regulatory process and want to talk about uh, you're, you're now the chairman of the ASTM F-38 committee. And, um, you know, you took over and uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But, uh, you know, I guess to start this off, uh, Ted, what, what's your vision and mission for the F-38? Well, uh, let me let me. Give a little background. I think most people know this, but maybe not. Um, uh, back in, uh, I think it was '07. Uh, you know, the F, uh, the FAA uh, decided that uh, you know the uh, issued their clarification of existing uh, policy about whether or not uh, small UASs could be flown under AC 9157. Mm -hmm. So you know, they issued that uh, clarification and. And, and that caused a lot of issues to, to everyone that's involved with, uh, uh, you know, these kinds of vehicles. So uh, the FAA heard that, and then they chartered, as you mentioned, this uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, to uh, 
uh, query the, all the stakeholders in the national airspace system and get their recommendations as to what a potential regulation should look like for uh, small UASs. Uh, you, know, you were, uh, Patrick, you were on that. Other people mm -hmm. were on that. And, and, you know, we spent about a year coming up with recommendations. And one of the recommendations uh, that came out of that rule, that, that Aviation Rulemaking Committee, was that rather than uh, rely on, put all the technical requirements into the regulation, which, as we all know, is really hard to to get coordinated and get published. Uh, you know, the, the notice proposed rulemaking is is still out there, uh, not out there on the small UAS. But but because it's so hard to change uh, the rule, the regulation, and and we know or knew that the technology was going to be rapidly changing and new things were going to happen and, and we didn't uh, the, the FAA and, and, and the ARC didn't want to uh, saddle the industry with a very uh, cumbersome process to change uh, we in the ARC uh, recommended that we use consensus standards for most uh, of the detail that would sometimes normally be in a regulation uh, and that was uh, the precedent was set there with the light sport aircraft. They did that. So, mm -hmm. so we gave our, uh, if you remember, we gave our recommendations in April of '09, and then uh, uh, the FAA went out to several uh, recognized standard development organizations, organizations that actually have the uh, audited processes to develop uh, consensus standards. Uh, and and went out to, to those in, the, in those organizations and ASTM uh, uh, stepped up to the plate and provided a proposal as to how they would handle uh, this, these particular standards for small UASs. And uh, in April of 10, uh, the FAA and ASTM they signed a memorandum of agreement that that the FAA would support. ASTM and the development of the standards that needed to be developed in order to actually implement this new regulation. So that's that's how ASTM uh, got involved in the standards. So so then uh, you know I joined ASTM up until that time it was not part of ASTM because they weren't recognized by the FAA. But once they got recognized uh, by the FAA, uh, started to work to help put together. Uh, these standards, um, and uh, have been doing that ever since. Eventually, got elected to be the the chairman after Goldie, uh, Jeff Goldfinger, and now I'm leading that activity. Um, these the standards that we have to write, not necessarily the standards, the the topics that we need to cover in these uh, uh, standards that are being developed are the design and construction and test of a small UAS, the production, uh, the quality assurance, uh, maintenance and continued operational safety, uh, pilot, uh, crewman operating handbook, and additional requirements for operations over people. Even though we haven't seen the proposed regulation, the FAA has told us that those are the topics that are going to need to be covered 
uh, in the series of standards that are being developed. So, so that's sort of the history of how this all happened and what ASTM is, uh, the topics that ASTM is currently working on. I'm going to shut up for a second and, and see if you need to ask any questions or whatever, and then we can probably get into a little bit more detail about how ASTM works and how the committee is working. Yes. I do want to do that, but this is all good stuff. You're, you're, uh, it's exactly kind of the point of uh, having you on today, and uh, and I did want to ask about the the leadership transition from uh, Goldie. I, I, you know, me and uh, me and uh, Jeff had a few spirited discussions, which I'm sure you heard about. Um, you know, my, my uh and, and the thing is that some people go, Oh, you know, this Egan guy is a little bit of a flamethrower. I don't know if you've heard that. You probably haven't heard that too. <laughs> every now and again I, I get that feedback. But uh my thing has always been, you know, a small business thing and, and having a uh this accessible to small business. But you know, I want to flash back to the art thing, you are right. And I remember when they were talking about standards and that was probably a little after we heard, you know, uh, I remember hearing from the FAA a couple of times as far as like this, the uh, FARS would be or the making the rules for small and made aircraft. I heard, you know, just trust us a couple of times. And I, I remember, you know, I think I even laughed out loud one time. I was like, uh, you know, I've, I've had been poking my nose in this FAR AIM book and I don't know if I can trust you guys. To, to work on this by yourself, and I, and I remember so people were like, "Oh, we got to go to the standards thing." And I, okay, well that sounds good. So I wanted to flash back on that one. But uh, so yeah, the the transition with uh, from uh, taking over from Goldie was, uh, you know, was it? Uh, is there something that gave you pause, or was it? You know, that Egan guy's out, so it's smooth sailing. Have a nice day. What no, no, it, it, the the transition from Goldie went smooth. Uh, you know, we have uh, an executive committee that's got uh, different folks on it. Goldie is still on the executive committee. We uh, we talk every week, actually, uh, uh, to make sure that things are moving along and getting people, uh, you know, advice as to how to handle stuff. Uh, so, no, the, the transition went uh, actually really well. You know, the Goldie got married and uh, now has a little uh, little kid, so he's he's had a bigger transition than I think I had moving over to uh, uh, to take over the committee. So, and and got a lot of good people working on the committee as well. So, yeah, well, he's and, and uh, Goldie's a good guy, you know, and and I know it's uh, it's like herding cats. I know you know you had some experience on the uh, small UAS arc as the co-chair, and I know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever worked when you're in a position like that before, but now you have a little experience. And, um, you know, it is, I'm sure it's kind of like herding cats. Everybody kind of has their own focus, let's say, or input. Uh, would you agree with that, or you think? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's you have the different stakeholders in the NAS. And, and you've got, you know, the as, as you well know, we had... Uh, the Airline Pilots Association on the, on the ARC. We had the uh, uh, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. We had Helicopter Association International. We had various government entities. We had, uh, you know, other other industri industry entities. Uh, you know, the whole the whole gamut. And it 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 was 
was interesting. Luckily, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was uh, in the military, I spent a significant amount of time uh, facilitating meetings on the uh, the National Aerospace Plane Program, which we had all different kinds of uh, of folks uh, with different views as to how that particular uh, fairly high tech program should be run, should be done, and uh, spent spent a lot of time. Learning uh, how to actually work with uh, with folks because there are a, a, a lot of different opinions, and I think that's the tightrope that we're walking on on these standards is to make sure they're they're good enough uh, that they aren't overly burdensome, but at the same time ensure that we have safe operations uh, out there in the NAS so that we don't have an incident or an accident which you know could really hurt the industry. So so yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting uh, facilitator role. I think that's the best way you could call it in, in both the the arc as well as on this uh, the the F thirty eight is is really trying to facilitate folks to come to some level of uh, agreement as to what really makes sense for this particular industry at this time. Well, and I'm sure a lot of that is you know just rolling up your sleeves and uh, you know moving forward. I, I, it is like uh, herding cats, and I, I did want to give you know there was a little bit of uh, you know because I did write a story and I kind of cut ties with ASTM, and I, I just want people to understand at that time uh, we were when they were talking about the FAA was talking about putting out the MPRM and not including uh, the ASTM standards in the drafts. And so we kind of went back and forth, and there were a lot of writing and everything else. But uh, since that time, the ASTM has decided that they would find a way to make the drafts public so the people could see them, uh, read them, see the, get, at least get the flavor if they're not done. Is that still the case? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as, as you mentioned during the arc, it's, it's really hard to, to give comments on the proposed regulation that calls out consensus standards if you can't at least see what people are thinking about in those consensus standards. And so so when 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 I took over uh and started to talk to folks about this and talk to ASTM and talk to the FAA uh you know that kept that in mind and kept telling folks you know it's going to be really hard for you guys the FAA uh to get uh, uh, valid comments on the the uh, the rule, the proposed rule, unless these folks get to see, you know, the, what's what is being considered uh, for the standard. So I've been able to we we I should say the XCOM and, and the FAA and, and the ASTM have been able to come to. We've had a lot of meetings on this. We've come to a uh, what we think is a legal way. Uh, to be able to have the uh, draft standards, because they're not going to be finished. You know, these standards are not going to be finished until the rule is actually published mm -hmm. in a couple of years, because there's going to be changes and stuff. But at least have the most current version of the standards available uh, uh, for the public to look at, uh, with a way they can offer comments, not comments in the in the ASTM discipline process, but comments back to ASTM as to what they think, and then uh, you know we'll take those comments, and if we think they're reasonable and rational, we'll try to incorporate them, and 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 so on. So so yeah, we what the way I think it's probably going to work, and again the the legal folks are still working this out, is when the NPRM gets issued, uh, probably in the preamble. 
there will be a uh, uh, some words as to which where to go on a website uh, and where you can uh, read only get read only versions of these standards, and then you can uh, and a place where you can uh, you know input on what you think about the standards. Uh, I think that's the way it's going to work. I think that fits within the ASTM process. We did hear uh, just uh, oh in the past m couple of months uh, the FAA folks went back to the light sport folks and uh, talked to them about this and and found that one of the issues folks had with the light sport area was that they didn't do that and that the people really would have liked to seen the consensus standards as the light sport rule was being worked through uh, coordination. So I think that helped uh, ASTM and the FAA uh, folks uh, you know, agree that yeah, this this makes sense and this is a thing to do. Well, you know, it's it's like I try and keep reminding the FAA. Look, if you do this public rulemaking process in the public eye, you know, you're gonna have less problems down the road because you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of controversy around this issue with privacy, and I didn't want to get into that. I think it's it's the community we we should have got out on front of this blah 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 but anyway even the the arc now that's going on i i mean i've i've you know i don't know if you've seen any of that but i i really think that they they needed to have small business on there i even think they should have had somebody just from the public maybe not aclu but you know i don't know one of the other groups and say you know we're not this isn't like we're making frankenstein over here this is a regular, I mean, this is the future of aviation as far as I'm concerned. And it is here to stay and it's going to happen. And you should, I think, throw as much daylight on it as possible to keep the uh, the mystery down. That's me. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, on, that's why on the F-38 stuff I'm really uh, trying hard to make sure we get as much participation as we can in the development of the standards. And mm -hmm. as we talked about earlier, that when... Uh, when the NPRM gets out, uh, that people have a chance to look at what is being, uh, uh, what is currently out there as proposed standards, and we'll see where we go. I mean, it's a, this is a, this is going to be a long process to get these standards uh, in the, you know, the, the right balance. I guess that's the best word to use is the right balance on these standards, so that. Uh, so that we do enable this new industry and let it really, uh, you know, really blossom. Right. Well, I, uh, you know, that that is one other thing. I mean, we're, uh, as we talk about this, uh, you know, I've been out there and I've been telling people, and a lot of people ask me, and I talk to people all the time, as I'm sure you do, and they're like, oh, you know, where is this going, and what's going to happen, and when's it going to happen, and what's it going to look like, and where are we going to be able to do, and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, you know, the best, really the best thing to do, uh, is probably um, is to get involved in the standards process because you're going to get a real flavor uh, for for the direction that this thing is heading, and, and it may not be uh, the direct roadmap, but as as I'm sure you can attest to, also this process is extremely fluid. I mean, I, I know that you know even since my being involved in this. The nomenclature's changed, the, uh, the, the points have changed, what's important has changed, uh, yada, yada, on and on, ad nauseum. So I do tell people, I say, if you get involved in the standards process and, and even observe or whatever, you're going to kind of get an idea where this thing is going. Would you agree with that or disagree? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's why 
you know, every uh, meeting I go to where I'm offered a chance to talk, I, you know, I give the ASTM spiel. I tell them where we are. I, uh, I ask people, come on, you know, participate. Uh, we've got plenty of room uh, for, for, you know, there's various levels of participation in this. You can, if you join ASTM, you can review the standards and provide comments. I'll get, and, and if we have time, I'll get into the process that you use. You can provide comments to, to help, uh, you know, shape the standards. If if you want to go a level higher, you can actually work on a task group because uh, these standards are normally put together by a small group of people uh, that, you know, take put the first draft out and, and then, uh, you know, adjudicate the comments. Uh, you can be a task group leader, which goes a little bit more. Uh, where you're actually leading the development of a standard, or uh, I have three. We have three uh, separate committees that these standards fall under. Subcommittees: one's uh, uh, airworthiness, one's operations, and the other is the pilot training stuff. Uh, you know, you can be part of those subcommittees or lead those subcommittees. So, so there's a lot of room for participation and. And, and, and what I, the term I use a lot is market shaping, is to shape these things, uh, you know, make sure that they're, 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 they're implementable, that they're rational. Uh, and, and so, you know, I've got uh, points of contact. We have a membership secretary, uh, a fellow that works uh, at, at North Carolina State University, Kyle Snyder. Uh, who would welcome uh, input, you know, a request to join ASTM, which you know, 75 bucks a year, but you get to participate in everything, and you also get, you know, access to all the standards, uh, uh, and not only this, the the F38 standards, but all the other standards that ASTM has. So, so you know, uh, maybe at the end or some, or when you send this out, we can get the contact information to get hold of Kyle if if folks want to participate, and then once they join. And then we figure out what their uh, uh, their interests are, and uh, we uh, get them on the right subcommittees working on the right stuff. And, and we actually did get a, uh, you know, we were doing a lot of recruiting at AUVSI, and I bet you we ended up with like 10 additional people uh, from the various parts of the small UAS industry, uh, you know, joining and now uh, uh, wanting to participate as we move forward on these standards. Well, and, and I think that's an excellent uh, point, and I wanted to uh, do that because, you know, the, the insight that you're giving today, and I mean, we'll be able to go forward now and say, when people say, oh, you know, well, what, what's F38 all about? Hey, you know what? You go listen to the podcast. You can listen to, you know, we're going to go over this. I think it kind of demystifies that process. And I definitely want, uh, is there, can they go to ASTM.org and sign up? or, or Yeah, they, they could do that. It's, it's best to, to, to uh, you can do that. You can go to the uh, ASTM.org. There's a, a way to join there. Or you can uh, talk to Kyle Snyder, and uh, I'll, I'll spell it out. It's K-Y-L-E dot S-N-Y-D-E-R at ncsu.edu, so North Carolina State University Education. And his number is uh, 919-234-7998. And he can guide you through the process and uh, explain all of that and then uh, you know get to work. Because over the next couple of months, uh, we're going to be putting all these standards back out for 
ballot either the first ballot i think actually a couple of them go out for first ballot and the rest of them are second or third ballot so so over the rest of this year and early part of next year there's going to be a lot of activity and a lot of room for people to get involved and and look at these things and get a feel for where they're heading and and providing input and providing comments uh, that do get uh, resolved in a very disciplined process, which I don't know if we'll have time to do talk about that, but it is a very disciplined process because uh, these have to be able to stand up in court, uh, you know, for legal action and stuff like that. So we have to be uh, really uh, rigorous in how we handle ca uh, comments. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I just want to. Kyle's a good guy. We had him on as a guest when uh, North Carolina stayed on, and. Um, uh, him and Dr. Silverberg, and they talked about their program. I know Kyle for a while. He's a, he's a good guy. Again, you know, you could contact him if for some reason you didn't get that. You could always email me at patrick at susnews.com, and I'll forward that on. And we are. We have about a uh, little little more than eight minutes. So I do I do want to talk about the process, and it is very robust. I hope people don't think that these standards uh, or have gotten the impression that it's willy-nilly. There is a very set process, and maybe, uh, Ted, if you could, you could kind of elucidate, talk about yeah, this sure. process. Okay, so so uh, let's pick a standard, uh, one that uh, uh, Joe Boyd actually is working oh. on, uh, who Joe. used to be uh, Alpa guy and now works for MITRE. He's the he's leading the, the the task force on the design of the command and control system, which is which is one of the more important systems on these small UASs because you really you want to have a robust command and control system, you know, a robust. Uh, a flyaway protection uh, system on it and whatever. So, so he has led a test task group that has put together is putting together a draft. And and by the way, the FAA does participate in all these task groups and provides input and comment and stuff. So, so he put together he's putting together a draft. Uh, once the that subcommittee is 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 okay with that draft. Now it doesn't have to be fully uh, at that time fully uh, consensed. Uh, you know there may be differences of opinion of folks on what should or shouldn't be in there, but but we you know you end up taking here's a draft. Uh, we then uh, through the ASTM uh, website uh, and process we send that draft out uh, to all the subcommittee members that are on the uh, the particular subcommittee that that particular standard falls under. So in this case, it would be the Airworthiness Subcommittee. Uh, they're given 30 days to provide uh, comments back. Uh, they can provide various levels of comment. They can say, I totally disagree with this, which is called a negative. Uh, they can just provide uh, comments to make it better, so that's usually affirmative with comment. Uh, there may be abstain with comment, but they'll also uh, people can also put in comments. But but they're at, at various levels. So if somebody feels strongly about something that 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 this is really not something that makes sense. They 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 say here's a negative, and I totally disagree with this. So so we get all those comments. We take them. We put them into a uh, comment tracking uh, workbook, really, and and sometimes we get hundreds of comments. And then we have to go through every one of those comments and and resolve them. 
if we can't, uh, and, and, you know, like sometimes we'll get a negative that somebody just didn't understand. So normally the, the task group or the task group leader would call that individual say, hey, I don't know if you really understood this. And, and sometimes we're able to uh, get folks to understand, oh, okay, now I understand it's not a negative, it's just, you know, whatever. Or they may still feel strongly that it's a negative. So then uh, if, if we have outstanding negatives, then in a uh, in a either a webinar or a face-to-face meeting, which uh, uh, we host, uh, we then get a quorum of of folks, and we adjudicate that negative in its majority rule. So the the proponent of of the change uh, basically uh, gives his rationale for why uh, he believes that. That, that that particular thing needs to be changed, and then uh, the rest of the folks in the audience in the in the in the room uh, that belong on that subcommittee or the, that full committee then uh, vote as to whether or not that his argument was persuasive or non-persuasive. If it's non-persuasive, it's that the, 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 that negative uh, you know doesn't that, that you don't actually change the standard. If it's persuasive, you go and change the standard, you know, the proposed standard, the way the, the person uh, suggested it. So, so that's the way. And then all the affirmative with comments, you go through those and you try to implement the, the, those comments as much as possible. So again, it's a very disciplined process. It goes through the subcommittee first. Uh, and then it goes through full committee, and then so there's like normally three or four ballots on a particular standard before it's actually ever uh, you know approved and then issued as a a full up ASTM standard. Did that help? Is that a, a, a you know I tried to be as succinct as possible? Well, it's it's you know it is a very involved process, and I think that did help. I mean, as somebody who's written a few negatives, <coughs> um, yeah. You know, you're right. There is that process. Usually you get the call, hey, what's going on here? Why do you think this? And, you know, can we do this? And and people look at it and talk about it. And I've been through that process on uh, multiple occasions. So people do reach out. Uh, one other thing I will say is, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to join this effort and you want to bring perspective to this this effort, I mean, you do, I guess there's different levels of, like you were saying, participation and expertise. Um, I always try to kind of look at it from, let's say, uh, you know, the small business perspective as a group of people trying to do this business or as a business. And there were things that I disagreed with. But I think that a lot of people that are, either, let's say, small unmanned aircraft systems or small RPA system uh, users are not really aviation people, don't really understand the aviation business um, and things like that. Do you have participation from people like that or, or are you mainly? Yeah, we're, we're getting some. We'd like to get more. Uh, of some of it is just to educate folks, right? Because, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is a reach out uh, uh, initiative and, and, you know, folks that are just getting into the aviation business and don't understand airspace and don't understand, you know, you really don't want to fly on the approach end of LAX because you really could cause a problem, uh, you know, to, to try and, and get folks to understand that there is some rationale. Uh, there's, and in a lot of cases, a lot of rationale for some of the operational restrictions that you know I, I suspect the FAA is going to put in this in this particular rule. But also just to get educated in aviation, you have a lot of technology folks, you know, that are built. I mean, the technology has just gone crazy. You can see every day on YouTube all the different stuff that's happening. But but those a lot of those folks don't really understand 
the airspace and you know how many airplanes we have flying around the U.S. You know, versus let's say some of the international uh, aspects of this. Where and we didn't get into that, but we could. I don't think we have time to. But 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 yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it, it's a learning experience for everybody. It's a learning experience for the folks that don't uh, have an aviation background. It's also a learning experience for the folks that have an aviation background to, you know, start to understand the concerns and the uh, issues that, you know, the, like like you and the small business folks bring to the table. So, so it's a it's a, a, a very uh, fluid environment, and it takes a lot of facilitation and a lot of listening. Not talking, but listening to the other person uh, to try to get their perspective, and that's the kind of thing we're trying to do on the committee. Right. Well, uh, you know, um, I, you know, we've got about a minute left, and yeah. it happens quick. You know, I always every every episode, I'm like, oh, geez, can we do 45 minutes? And we always run out of time. Uh, so it was a very good uh, conversation, Ted, and I appreciate you coming on. I think it's very enlightening. Like I said, I think we can use this this podcast if anyone asks you know well what's that 38 like here you go listen to that uh it was very enlightening i do uh you know i would like i wouldn't mind having you on again uh maybe six months or something and we could get another update because i know you guys are working away um uh, would you be open to that oh sure absolutely any any time you know we can uh, do you want to get an update as to what's going on and where we need help and, uh, yeah. and so on please feel free and i'll be uh more than happy to to do that. Uh, you know, I go to these conferences and do the same thing, but it looks like you know you have a you have a nice broad audience here where we can uh, reach reach out to more folks. So it's perfect uh, perfect venue. Yeah, that's uh, we reach out to a lot of folks and they can listen on their commute home. But anyway, okay, thanks Ted for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, Patrick, you have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.